You're listening to No Dice, No Problem, a new monthly Asians represent variety show hosted by Drew Kwan and me, Daniel Kwan, on the One Shot Podcast Network. Check out uncut video and other exclusive content at patreon.com slash AZNS represent. Dude, I'm, I'm glad that we're back to recording because oh, yeah. I was, I got, I'm not gonna lie, I got fucked up earlier this month yeah you did i got fucked up i was really worried because i was like i don't know if we're when we're gonna get to asia it's all over it's all over for me like we i had all of those interviews that i had done with like you agatha and steve at big bad Mm -hmm. con and i had them edited but i couldn't record like the introduction the, the the ending segment i couldn't record any of the commentary in between because I just I couldn't talk without coughing, even yeah. after uh, I you know had tested negative, and I'm yeah. still kind of still haven't fully recovered uh, from COVID. I'd say that like my energy levels are at like sixty percent. Um, I can go without talking for or a little bit, but still rough, still rough. But um, I'm glad we got at least one no dice no problem done this month because we haven't really yeah. missed a month. Nah, we're you know we're consistent. We're we're going strong, and uh, so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we recorded this, and a lot has happened this month too. Um, we opened the Discord server to the public. Yep. So for uh, those who don't know, um, previously we had uh, locked that bitch tight, where we had just uh, put up like an application process that you had to go through in order to uh, get into the server. I had to read all of that and approve various people. And if I didn't, you know, it's just it's, it was a whole ordeal. But nowadays we have a much larger mod team. Some of the concerns we had previously when we uh, locked it all up and was just aren't really things we're concerned about anymore. Uh, and so, yeah, we decided to just uh, go ahead and open that up. So I'm sure you guys can find a link to it somewhere in a description you know it'll be in the description it's also going to be on you know if you go to our our sort of beacons.ai link if you go to our our website anywhere where we have a slow a social presence you'll be able to find the link to join the discord server but yeah it's it's open now and thank thanks shout out to you and steve for kind of spearheading that and making sure it was done it was done properly yeah you know it took some work we had to overhaul the various like things in the server we had to change a lot of things around and to be fair what makes poverty easier to open up now is that a lot discord over the past few years has stepped up their game a lot better and introduced a lot of safety features that either were needed or now can do what the bots used to do so a lot of things that we used to need uh bots for now can be run natively within the server without any need for that, which just kind of makes it all easier for us um, as well. But we also added uh, three new um, mods members, moderators to the team. And so with all of them, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, Did sort of throw them into the deep end. I think we brought them on. And then a few days later, opened up the server Yes. So I really kind of tossed them in. But you know what? Overall, I think it's been pretty easy. We had a good influx of new people and they've been very chill. Um, you know, and it's to be fair, I think uh, 
a lot of people. What did they say about YouTube? I remember seeing the statistic at one point, like 10% of people on a, on a YouTube, like who watch a YouTube video will comment, for instance, things like that, where it's just like hmm. the amount of people who interact and watch your thing. Yeah. You know, it's much larger than the amount of people who will actually like engage and like say something. So in that same sense, the amount of people who join our server versus the amount of actual active members that are constantly saying things, those are two very different uh, amounts of people. Yes, yes, yes. You know, so yeah, okay, great. 30, 40 people joined, you know, probably like five to 10 of them will actually be fully active members that always are wanting to contribute, you know, yeah. which is okay. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's just nice that it's open now it, it takes, uh, you know, some of your bandwidth can now be dedicated to other things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just more people are going to connect with other Asian creators or people who aren't even Asian can come to the server and meet new people and just learn. Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a great time. I was I was sitting in one of the hangout chats with um, Mahar and Spectre, uh, mm-hmm. two of the mods, and we were just chatting. Uh, we we talked for like three four hours last night. Oh, it was yeah. great. It was great. Um, you know, we're chatting about the 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 Twitter discourse, but also just like design projects. Like I was telling them that you have formally agreed to come on and co-design Wandering Blades with me. Fuck yeah, baby. I am super excited about that. Yeah, man. But it like we are we're gonna be it's a fully like it's a Quan project. It's a Quan project. Daniel Quan and Drew Quan. Um and we're gonna be finishing up Wandering Blades. Uh, we found an artist that you and I both like. You know, we we both like their work. Yeah, they um, are so good. W- yeah um we're not going to say anything yet because you know we're still in talks still got to get the paperwork done but found an artist who is eager to do a wuxia project but we also found an artist who's chinese and has experience sort of world building through art so we're really excited their style matches the vibe that we wanted at like and i i just can't wait i i am hoping that by the end of the year you and i will have a um like a full new quick start ready yeah and i i think that's very doable um we'll have a full new quick start ready to go i think we have the base mechanics already down it's just a matter of some of the social stuff um and i'm very very excited about that i even started a new design notebook for it it's got some it's actually got a dungeons and asian sticker on it um, it has a sticker from the Party of One podcast, Starcrossed, the great game. Uh, yeah. And then this sticker that I got at uh, Big Bad Con that just says, System doesn't matter, just play, which I, I really like. That is um, fun. That is but fun. But I have started just like filling it up with, with like wandering blade shit. It's mostly incomprehensible. Uh, and some, even, even to yourself? Even to myself and some other work. Like really late last night, I started just like, drawing shit uh, for another game that I'm working on with Senfung Wim that uses tarot cards. Um, but I'm just, I'm just hyped that, you know, the two projects that I'm currently working on, I have like two members of the community as design partners who I yeah. really, really respect. 
Uh, so yeah. I'm hyped for that. We're going to probably talk about that more uh, on, I want to say Asians rep. We should talk about it on Asians rep. Um, yeah, we and- will probably, as the rest of this year progresses, and I'm sure as mostly next year progresses, we will become more and more annoying about Yeah, more and uh, more annoying about, about it. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that you uh, you joined me for that. Um, I, we, I am very excited because, you know, I have the writing credit with an experience with Paizo for the Tian Shaw book that's mm-hmm. uh, coming out at some point. I never keep track. Is it, I, it's coming out I will, next year. It's coming out next yeah, year. I'll receive I'll, I will receive an email saying it has come out and I'll be like, great. Awesome. Cool. 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 Um, until then, I just don't keep up. It'll happen. Um, but uh, I'm just really excited to be on like a full fledged book and and in that capacity to really like flex, you know, and and spread the wings and whatnot. So yeah, like, you know, there's a certain amount of nervousness of expectation and, you know, it is a much, much larger project. And when you're in a, you know, a larger role, that also means you have more writing on you. And so, you know, there's, there's that nervousness that, that healthy anxiety, um, but I am very excited for it right now. I'm just doing a lot of homework because yeah. I am reading lots of OSR products at the moment. Uh, doing yeah, my I, best. I sent you a whole bunch of stuff to, to review before we go into just to make sure we were kind of aligned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's just, a, it's a design credit for you. We were actually talking about this at big bad con at our uh, TTRPG freelancing one-on-one panel. It was kind of like, well, how do you kind of break into the industry? How do you No, Daniel. No, no, God. I mean, all that. This is a a tangent, but that panel is very much like, oh, I know Daniel or I knew that Daniel recommended me. I'm just like, "Ah, this is not what I intended. Um, (laughs) And it it was like unplanned. It just came off as so self-aggrandizing. I "I didn't want that. I think the point is that it's not really the really is. Yeah, the idea is not no Daniel. It is to know people, to form connections and to form partnerships within the community, because writing this thing solo is too difficult for most people, you know. And so, like, for instance, when you think about it, writing a whole book by yourself is really difficult. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, you know. But if you split that up between a bunch of people it's a lot easier, you know? Yeah. And, and it's still that, that full fledged credit. Um, and it's just, you know, it helps you keep your work accountable and honest as well, which is nice. Yeah. And you know what you, you get, sometimes we have ideas in our head and we think they make it onto the page. Um, but it takes another collaborator to make sure that that happens and that your ideas make sense. Um, no one knows your idea better than you do, but the issue is communicating that idea in a way that doesn't require your innate knowledge of that thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because our, your our brain th- is automatically filling in the gaps. The yep. reader is not. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think with, with wandering blades, we want this to be like a really tight sub 100 or sub 150 page book. Quants keep it tight. Book. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just want it to be extremely, functional Uh, we don't want there to be a lot of fluff um but yeah really excited we're gonna 
We're going to finish the quick start by the end of the year. We'll have a cover soon. We found the artist. Um, I'm, I'm just hyped that we're working on this. Most of the system is actually pretty much done. Uh, yeah. But we need to do some pretty aggressive playtesting. So, hey, we'll probably even do some playtests in the Asians Represent Discord server with folks. Yep. Um, well, I think we should definitely do that. So if you are interested in uh, playtesting Wandering Blades with us, uh, let us know. Uh, message us, uh, tag us in show discussions. And uh, we'll try to, based on the number of people, we'll try to organize something. Um, do you want know to think it would be really interesting? I think it'd be really cool to play test. Like, I think a classic way to play test is to, um, you know, as the uh, person writing, you end up being the person running the play test. Mm-hmm. And you want to know what your players think. But I think it'd be really interesting as well to play test where you hand it to someone else and then you are one of the players and getting yep. a completely different perspective. I think that's uh, I think that's something we should do after we know that we have a functional product. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I would argue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What I actually think is going to be interesting is when we do our first play test together, I think it's going to serve as a great sort of way for us to calibrate our different or independent visions of this and how we can yeah. make them one. That's what I, I, I really want us to do. I think because I think the system works. And I mean, you and I have been playing games together for like three years at this point. And we've been playing in like a home game together for like two years, mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. Two years at this point. So I like I know your play style and that's any like, you know, mine, you know, my preferences in games, too. And so that's why I think this is going to, you know, this is going to work well. Um, yeah. Like one of my core, I think, philosophies for game design is I think that social systems or mechanics, like any sort of role play mechanics should only benefit you and not hinder you like they shouldn't yep. pigeonhole you into certain things um which is like one of my big issues with like uh i'm gonna get in trouble for saying this but like powered by the apocalypse P- pbta games okay go for I it i feel like you know so hot uh, woo, 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 hot take time uh, <laughs> uh, i feel i i don't know why i suddenly got nervous <laughs> yeah you got nervous you're I, like oh my god pbta folks oh my god come PBT- after me. oh god the the Pabuda, you know, they're going to come Pabuda. after me. <laughs> Hakuna Pabuda. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I, I just feel like when, you know, when you look at like playbooks in a PBTA game, like let's just say Monster of the Week. It's one of the most popular. It's one of the most well-played, well-known mm-hmm. PBTA games. So we'll just say that one, for instance. Shit, Though, because Ross of. Rifles. No, sorry. Yeah, shout out to Ross for showing us. You know what? I should have gone with a plug. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Plug. You're getting you're um, getting new to you're new to this. Speaking of being new to this, Dyson. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think that PBTA games like Ross Rifles. No, no, no uh, go go with Monster of the Week. Monster go with Monster of the Week. With Monster Apoc- of the Week, Apocalypse World. It's just it, it's really more of a system issue, not an individual product issue. Where, in my opinion. Going and putting a lot of these social interactions and making them like plays or actions within your playbook, I think is not great because in my opinion, based off of playing like Monster of the Week, for instance, it felt like I couldn't do certain things. I could not say certain things because I didn't have a play with that. I didn't have an action 
based off yeah, of you'd that. you'd have a move, a move for Yeah, it. there was no move, yeah. I think with... Uh, and so I, I just felt like I couldn't do something, yeah. you know, because of that. I had to funnel how I said things based off of my moves, and I just didn't like that. You, you know, felt it. You felt it was too restrictive. Constra- yeah, it was. Cons- it constrained my ability to improvise. That's fair. That's fair. I think yeah. with Powered by the Apocalypse games, there is a balance that has to be met between the playbook moves, the sort of generic moves, but also the how you incorporate the theme into them. When we were first, yeah. when we started with Ross Rifles, all of our moves were like very. We leaned in really hard on the World War One theme on the name of the moves, and people really struggled because they couldn't find a reason to use a certain move. Sure. Um, but for for Wandering Blades, you and I are really working on like from a systems perspective uh, at a really high level. You know, I think combat is good right now. We're working on exploration, and then we're working on like um, a reputation or renown system uh, to make sure we're really because like how people interact with you and how people uh, sort of perceive you is really important in Chinese culture. And so we're trying to make that a part of the game without bogging down the play experience Uh, because we want it to be fast. We want it to feel dangerous as well. Um, But this, this episode is not about wandering blades. We're going to do a full Asians Mm -hmm. represent one on that. Once drew is, is done sort of like his homework and studying up. And we, we have a a couple of other back in school back in school um but uh one one other thing i'm i'm super excited it's it's in the mail but um i am expecting my copies of candela obscura oh nice uh, soon yeah i have my first darrington because we were talking about credits i have my first darrington press credit um so my myself uh eloy lasanta and matthew mercer we all did preliminary design work on the illuminated world system uh which is obviously used in candela obscura so super excited that that it's finally out and I'll get to I'll get to to see it. Um oh, yeah. See it for 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 real after it's it's been a long time. I get like okay, so at Miniature Market, shout yeah. out to Miniature Market, sponsor us. Um at Miniature Market, the uh tabletop role playing game books section of yeah. the store is right next to the cashier, like right next to the front desk. And I get this like narcissistic rush standing over there with my friends and pointing at books and going, oh, yeah, this friend wrote for this book. Oh, that friend wrote for this book or that I or then I dish insider dirt on that book you know it's oh. shit like that <laughs> soon <laughs> soon it'll be like oh you're that's your book yeah i have i've definitely committed the crime of talking loudly about the book while people are nearby hell yeah hell yeah because be, listen, be, i'm a nervous been... little homeschool kid i'm not gonna walk up to you and say that i wrote on this book <laughs> how cool am i but i will say loudly i can't wait for this book that i worked on to come that out. i worked on to be well look i mean like you should be proud of it you 100 oh, yeah. should be proud of it uh i'm really excited that's going to come on i'm really excited that you're going to be able to see the fruits of your labor at 
I just store. hope they give. I don't think I can actually. Yeah, I I think we're still under. NDA. We're still under NDA. I can't we can't say talk about exactly it yet. what I worked on. Nope. But we'll talk about that later. But I will say, because I can say this in the realm of hypotheticals, I hope that the things that I worked on receive some sort of art, even if it's tangential. Yes. But that could be anything. That could that could mean that I wrote for a nation. That means I could have wrote for a god, a monster, a class, whatever, a weapon. What does it matter? Whatever I worked mm-hmm. on, I hope to God there's art. And if there's not, I'm going to send a strongly worded email to, to no Gason. one. To no one. <laughs> Dude, I love James. James is, oh, James so is great. Um, yeah, I'm just excited for you to see that. Really excited. Um, now, for, for just to kind of pivot, because we could just keep talking about these games we had a lot of questions that we do that have a lot of questions submitted so normally we do like a, a whole like history curiosity segment we actually spent an hour before we even started recording just agonizing over segment names for no dice no problem we're um, trying to think of like a call to action phrase like some sort of you know this is the question segment what do we call it? How do we market it? Right. Yep. So, hey, listen, people of the community, people who listen to this, I'm talking to you right now. I don't know where you're at in your life, but you now know where I'm at in mine. And I need your help because my brain, I am podcasting right now with a headache. Because I thought too hard. Yeah, we, we if our energy seems low for this episode, it's because we've it's like no 10 joke. PM and we're tired. Yeah, it's 10 p.m. But we have spent the past hour agonizing over what to call the different segments of this podcast. And I think we were we wanted to do like a whole curiosity segment. I really like Curiosity Corner. I had actually prepared um, like a, like a fact or something interesting to talk about. Uh, I saw this bird. And I'll just be real quick about it because I do want to give the audience something to look at. Um, I saw this bird sure. called the Great Eared Nightjar. Uh, you should you the should look it up. Nightjar? The Great Eared Nightjar. Like nightjar is one word. Um, and it is a species of nightjar, which is a, uh, a type of short build, long winged, short legged birds. They are sometimes called goat suckers, apparently. Um, but, uh, the short eared okay. night jar specifically, I think is really cool because if you look at pictures of it, it like straight up looks like a dragon, its face. Oh, it's so cute. It looks like a baby dragon. Like it is so cute. And I wanted to bring this up cause I want, I love talking about animals and the greater night jar looks exactly like toothless from how to train your dragon. And it is, it is so cute. Uh, so I wanted to at least I, bring that up for this episode. I cannot describe to you how much it goes from like this very cute cartoon, almost like cartoonish, like like toothless bird. Yeah. You know, toothless looking bird um, to uh, a, a squinty little guy who I feel like would call me a slur. Yeah, it they, they are extremely cute, but it but like I mean, when we look when we look at, at like nature, there are so, I mean, a lot of people have a really hard time. They're like, Oh, I can't find inspiration for creatures and anything like that. But like you just look at 
a biology textbook and you'll find some incredible stuff. And like the greater night drawer is just so goddamn cute um, that it just literally looks like a baby dragon. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to have at least that because we did we did get a lot of questions and we spent a lot of time prior to actually recording talking about segment names. We had like curiosity corner. I wrote these down. Shit takes. Um, <laughs> we had what called the big one. <laughs> I'm going to run with that. Um, I, I, we, I like we had into the DMs, like into our DMs or tabletop manners or table talk. We're we're struggling. It, it is struggle yeah. city. If you have an idea for that, how to name the Q&A segment of No Dice, No Problem as some sort of prompt. Please help us. Please. Help I am. Us. OK. Hey, call to action. I am not joking. If you sub listen, no. Pr- well, this is a promise, but no promises. You know what I'm saying? OK, if you if any of you send us an idea for what this phrase sort of segment, what call to action, whatever is. And we pick that one. I will Venmo you 20 bucks. I'll, I'll send the money. We'll it, we'll use Asians represent budget. It'll be Asians represent budget. I will also then send you an additional twenty dollars on top. Should of we that. give I'll, them? I'll should it. we give them an exclusive role in the Discord server that makes them stand out? Thinking. No, that's too much power. I'll just give them the twenty bucks. Okay, we'll just give them the twenty bucks. That's too much power. Um, I don't. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to elevate them. I just want to give them money and shoo them off, you know, into obscurity. Fair, fair. Um, and uh, and then before we dive into these questions, I, I wanted to bring something up because we've been struggling with what to do with like mail time. And sometimes we do receive physical mail. Uh, and I never I re- do. It's all Daniel. I, sometimes I receive physical mail um, and I've received some stuff from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, okay. This is all for free. Wizards of the Coast sent me a copy of Vandelver and Below, the Shattered Obelisk. Uh, oh cool yeah Yeah. they sent me a a copy of the standard cover and they sent me the uh sort of collector's cover the alt art cover um and it is like quite beautiful that is an interesting uh font it is an interesting font i really like it it's got this horror horror vibe yeah that makes me feel like i'm sounding like i don't like it i do it's It's just very not typical it's a textured book as well yeah I really oh, like that. Yeah, it's like you can feel the like the ampersand logo on the back. It's really cool. It's got this. I can imagine horror green knight sort of vibe. I really like it. But uh, yeah, thank you, Wizards, for sending that to me for free. Um, they are also sending copies of the new uh, plane chase books uh, and deck of many things. So we'll talk about that on another episode of No Dice, No Problem. Oh, what if you get the ridiculously overpriced hundred dollar bundle for the a deck of many things book stuff. Who knows? Who knows? They just they just send hey, stuff and I have Watsy, it. Send it to me. <laughs> I just have it and look, well uh if you lived in Toronto, I'd just be like, Drew, take some. Uh but you don't. And it's too expensive. And shipping to send between books. yeah, shipping is expensive. Hella expensive. Look, look, I had to send somebody a copy of Dark Archive as a part of the um the the teach RPGs for, for, for Maui thing that we did. Yeah. That that Nala led. And to send a copy of that Pathfinder book to somebody in Toronto cost me $20. Shipping of that book. Cause, cause it wouldn't fit into a mail slot. Wild. Yeah. Um, but anyways, thank you. Thank you. Wizards of the coast for sending me these books. Um, 
Lost Minds of Fandelver is uh, probably one of like the best 5e adventures. I think it's a really great uh, introductory adventure for, for people. So I'm excited to, to look into the follow-up. Um, the follow-up yeah. does have some like, you know, I, I'm not someone who runs adventures from modules or anything like that. Uh, I do my own thing, but I'm always on the, the hunt for more creatures, magic items, things like that. And if I remember correctly, I looked, I skimmed through it on D&D Beyond um and it has some really interesting monsters and stuff there is some wild shit one i wanted to actually point out was called the flesh meld and the flesh meld is it's a it's it's a challenge rating it's a challenge rating seven creature um but it is a squelching and quivering with insatiable hunger a flesh meld is a hulking amalgamation of teeth blood and body parts very good and the art's really nice it's kind of got a um the the it reminds me of that video game Carrion. I don't know if you've ever played Carrion. Oh, that's uh, a side scroller, right? It's a side scroller where you're this like, like mound yeah. of tendrils. Um, but yeah, the flesh meld in uh, the new Fandelver book reminds me of that. But anyways, thank you, Wizards, for sending that to me. Um, it's time to get to uh, our questions from our community for a segment we have not yet named, but we are soliciting for your help. Um, twenty dollars, twenty dollars, twenty bucks, twenty dollars, um, twenty big, twenty big ones. And speaking of Fandelver and below, our first question comes from Nick, first time asker, um, first time poster in our uh, questions channel for patrons. Nick asked, "I'm looking for a new D and D five E replacement that will feel." Um, okay, hold up. God, sorry, this cover is distracting. Um, Nick, who for the first time is asking a question in our server, asked, I'm looking for a D&D 5e replacement that will feel familiar to our group instead of learning a brand new system, uh, but that is more freestyle and better supports narrative gameplay rather than exhaustive rules. Do you have any recommendations? I have quite a few, but let's start. I don't have nearly as many. Okay. Do you want to go first then? Um... Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I so I have no experience playing it, but uh, I do. And and I believe, yeah, Steve mentioned it as well uh, in that that channel that that the question was asked in mm-hmm. um, quest seems good for it. In, you know, it seemed I, based on me watching Dungeons and Asians, the few episodes yeah. we did in quest um, that seemed pretty fluid. You know, it's, it is in many ways a pared down fifth edition. Um, I yeah, that's fair. Is that honestly? Yeah, I just I don't okay. really have anything because I don't think I've ever played anything that really does that. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question because it's like, well, you want a five year replacement, but you want something that has a little bit more freedom uh, and something that supports narrative. But it's hard because five E doesn't quite do combat as well as other games, nor does it do the sort of narrative. Five E is very much like that middle ground for many people. And so when you are looking for an alternative, it's really hard to go from the middle to something similar, right? Yeah, so- I think I was talking to Agatha about that, where it's like the the issue with is D&D a toolkit? Is it, is it is a toolbox that can do everything? No. No. But the issue is, is that it can do it enough so that most people sort of sunk cost fallacy it, you know, and they don't want to move to something else because, yeah, 
that other system might do that thing better, but also the perceived hill of trying to get into a brand new system and learn all those no new rules, as opposed to just, you know, uh, changing slightly the rules that you're already used to. It's a lot. It's very daunting to people. And so, yeah. yeah so know. I have these, these are my recommendations. So number one, uh, I would say Quest because that was suggested in our in our Discord server. Quest is a very rules light RPG. It's a D twenty RPG where uh, your characters have a lot of like individual powers that you can use. It certainly supports narrative play, but not in the sense that I think this person is looking for. Sure, I think Quest supports narrative play in that you're only really rolling when you have to, uh, but then you can pick any rules light game. Uh, so. Number one, I would pick Quest uh, just because it's easy. Uh, two, I would pick a game called Nave. So Nave is an OSR game. Um, it is designed to be compatible with other OSR games. So if you haven't played an OSR game, that might feel daunting. But trust me, Nave is very familiar. It is classless, but uses a D20, and it has your standard sort of six abilities. Uh, think of it as a very stripped down D&D. Um, and speaking of stripped down D and D, um, one that I would recommend, I think my biggest recommendation, uh, if you want a five year replacement is a game called five torches deep, uh, five torches deep is interesting because it is very much an OSR game, but it's designed to with five torches deep is interesting because it combines sort of what is, uh, familiar, uh, with D and D sort of mechanics and principles, uh, with OSR design sensibilities. So it is very much, and they say it, it is a 5e skeleton with OSR meat. So I really like Five Torches Deep. They have interesting supplements. They have an entire supplement that's just for dueling. There's a supplement for stealth. But to kind of go with your question, Nick, when you were asking about something that supports narrative gameplay, Five Torches Deep has a really interesting supplement on homesteads uh, with rules for community building. So you get that familiarity with 5e, but you also get something that 5e doesn't do very well. Um, I have three others that aren't quite like 5e, but are interesting uh, because they do support narrative uh, gameplay. Uh, one is called Flip Tales. So Flip Tales is a game that I don't think we've ever mentioned on Asians Represent. Uh, but Flip Doesn't Tales... sounds familiar to me. It was one of the first TTRPGs that I ever worked on. And uh, it is a game that does not use dice. In fact, it uses plastic coins. And you literally throw handfuls of coins and you flip them. It's very cool. It's very fun. It's a lot of fun. It's got a really nice family-friendly aesthetic. Um, After that, I would recommend Into the Odd. Uh, Into the Odd is a bit of a sort of dark horse in my recommendations. uh, Because from a systems, uh, from a setting perspective, it's very different from what you'd expect of 5e. Um, but from a systems perspective, it is very, very stripped down. And then lastly, I would recommend Ryutama. Uh, Ryutama is not like D&D at all, but it has this focus on the journey. It has this focus on, you know, one's oneself. It is um, how to best describe it. It's very much like they say it's Hayao Miyazaki meets the Oregon Trail. Um, what a wild like yeah <laughs> way to describe anything yeah it's um i i think ryutama is a really cool game uh it's like skyrim with dysentery 
<laughs> Scaramid without the dysentery. Because what's interesting about Ryutama, uh, and we're going to talk about this on an episode of Asians Represent, is that it falls into this interesting category of Japanese media called um, Ayashike. And that basically just means like healing type or healing. And it is just like this genre of media that is just supposed to emphasize characters who are living peaceful, chill lives. And we're going to do a whole episode on this. Agatha is going to, Agatha is going to join me for it. Um, but yeah, Ryutama might be my dark horse. So I think in order of recommendation, uh, if you're looking for a 5e replacement that feels familiar to your group, but has a little bit more sort of systemic freedom and, yeah, I think if you're looking for a 5e replacement that has a little bit more mechanical freedom and supports narrative play a little bit better than 5e does, in order, I'd probably go Nave, Quest, Five Torches Deep, Ryutama, Into the Odd, and then Flip Tales. Those would be my recommendations. And that is what we call the big one. The big one. The um, big one. Actually, I'm kind of torn because I know I, I think some people will 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 say quest first, but I think when I think about a group like our home game, Drew, yeah, if you're gonna switch away from five E to something that feels familiar, but has a lot more freedom, I'm going to assume that there is still one person in that group who might like combat. I'm going to assume that there is somebody who wants to have rules for some of the more narrative stuff or the non-combat stuff. And that's why I think I would lead with Nave because it's simple and a second edition was just kickstarted. Uh, and then Five Torches Deep comes afterwards because I think the sheer number of supplements may seem daunting. Yeah. And then I would put Quest after that because I think Quest is not as familiar to the 5e experience as Nave would be, or as Five Torches Deep would be. Yeah. Whatever happened with, with Quest in, in that it, I remember when Quest came out mm -hmm. and it, it was very polished and looked very nice. And so everyone was like, oh my God, this is the D&D &D killer. And every, a lot of people switched to Quest. And then Quest just kind of fizzled disappeared yeah so this is exactly why i didn't put quest at like number one um i don't think quest is at number i think quest is beautiful like the art top notch the production top notch they also sponsored us um but they're not sponsoring <laughs> us now um the reason why i think quest kind of fizzled is because it's a pretty book to look at but you're just rolling one d20 and that's it you're not rolling anything else um, and I think for folks who are coming from 5e who like the experience of rolling lots of dice, Quest is not for, for that person. You think it got too simple? I think it's too simple. That's, that's it. I think Quest is, was far too simple. Yeah. Um, it was pretty, but far too simple and there wasn't depth to it. So if there's no depth to it, I don't think you're going to want to engage with it as more as much, right? Like I could yeah. be wrong. There could be this thriving community of people playing quest, but I honestly hadn't heard anybody speak about quest until Nick asked this question. and Steve brought up quest because it honestly would not have been my first choice. I would have gone Dave if 
five torches deep before it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I think say... the quest would have come up if Steve hadn't done that. Yeah. I would say, you know, Nick, if you are looking at looking to replace D&D 5th edition, if you want to go even further beyond the boundaries of like adjacency, you could look at some of the um like like basically like war games out there. And I'm not saying war games as in like Warhammer, Warhammer. 40k, but like there are plenty of small books that are designed to evoke like certain things like there's what what's it called silver bullets silver bayonets something like that i i mean if i was gonna go with a war game that has narrative i would honestly pick rangers of shadow deep yeah you know i pick rangers of shadow deep yeah because i I think a lot of the D D adjacent things uh outside of like pathfinder a lot of what a lot of these things riff off of is they reduce a lot of complexity across the board which may not be what you want because like yeah for me i enjoy having a crunchier combat to varying degrees i just don't like role playing having a lot of hurdles and and like bottle bottlenecks in terms of player behavior because they feel like they can't do this thing or or say this certain thing because it's not in the realm of the things that they're supposed to be able to do. Like that's one of my frustrations with uh, Pathfinder second edition is that uh, unlike PBTA games, it is a far more complex game, but they run into the same issue of instead of funneling your choices into these very, very slim things as, as moves in PBT in PBTA games, Instead, they throw a billion feats at you in in Pathfinder. And some of those feats say that it now allows you to do this role play thing that I would have never, ever thought to tell you you couldn't do to begin with. Yeah, that's kind of like how Quest is, except you have like powers. It's been a while since we played. Um, But yeah, it's kind of like you have powers. Um, Again, like it's an interesting question to ask. I want to replace 5e, but I need something familiar. So what is it that you're trying to replace, right? Is it the combat experience? Is it the lack of exploration mechanics? Is it the fact that the narrative part of the D&D play is very much don't use the rules? Are you looking for something that that has a mechanical component to the narrative? Mm-hmm. Um, if you want something that mechanically feels similar to 5e, but is, you know, much more pared down, much more streamlined. Again, it's going to be Nave. It's going to be Five Torches Deep. If you want something that really encourages you to have this sort of narrative journey, one that doesn't emphasize combat, I would again go for Ryutama because it does have mechanics that support that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's what that's that that that's what I would pick. Um, but we've got some other questions. We've got some other questions, and energy energy is low, so we picked the. The big one to start with. (laughs) (laughs) Or is the big one, if we're talking about our segments, is the big one one of the questions that's being asked and everybody's Oh, we label it the big one. We label it the big one and everybody's looking to to be the big one. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But after Nick, we had Andreas. Uh, Shout out to Andreas. Um, When I was thinking about the Great Eared Night Jar, I was like, oh, baby bestiary. Um. So Andreas asked, if I want to go down an interesting research rabbit hole and learn something new, 
what should I look up? And I don't think this necessarily has to be game. It doesn't have to be about games. Do you want me to go? I, I have an answer. Mm, no, my brain is... Uh, hmm. Hmm. If you like history, if you like uh, specifically like North American colonial period uh, history, mm. a really interesting topic to research is the colonial British Indian department. Uh, oh, interesting. Were, I think that they're fascinating. Um, the British Indian department was the um, military department that was the liaisons and ambassadors to various, uh, you know, first nations or first peoples, uh, various uh, tribes and nations and, and cultural groups. And so these were the go-betweens between, uh, you know, the British empire and, uh, all these different peoples in North America. And they were um, just these, you know, the military officers that took their job really seriously. And they are not, you know, they are not blameless in the course of colonialism right. by any means. They are ultimately there to enforce uh, an empire's will upon a foreign land. However, they also very often took the side of the people they worked with as opposed to the people they worked for. Mm. And so these uh, officers, these men, they would very often marry into these families, marry into these tribes and nations and become linked with them in that way. They would hold these people as their friends. And oftentimes when it came down to it in British uh, foreign policy during like the 18th century, when it came down to it, they would most often side with the uh, American Indians over the British settlers trying to get into these territories. You know, so whatever the boundaries were for the treaties that were signed, they took these things very seriously because they wanted to ensure a great relationship with uh, the various uh, Indian nations or indigenous nations. And so that's why over the course of the American revolution, the British, though every nation involved had many indigenous allies, the British had by far the most amount to the point where there was a Spanish Lieutenant governor, I believe, of, of the uh, what is it called? The territory, the Louisiana all, territory. This is all new to me. Of the Louisiana territory, who uh, this is a paraphrase of what he says, but he basically laments back to uh, Spain. He laments that if we could just give to them, them being the indigenous nations, but a hundredth of the gifts that the British can give them. Because the British just threw money. And this is a question that I pose at the museum that I work at because mm. we have exhibits based on these very things right now. And I pose to the I pose that question to our visitors when they take the tour. I ask them, why did the British have so many more allies among the indigenous peoples? Mm. And uh, many of them will answer, well, is it because of the promises they made? Um, and I say, well, the thing about this time period 
and you know the time period after it as american hegemony ensues and they start going even further west um they all made promises every mm-hmm. colonial imperial power in north america made promises so it wasn't so much about the promises made to indigenous nations and peoples it was about the promises kept to them and in this sort of time frame of post uh seven years slash uh, french and indian war you know to the revolutionary war um that was a very 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 big deal to them was mm. keeping these promises uh and part of why we we rebelled against them as americans was because we didn't like that they were keeping these promises because part of keeping these promises were keeping us on the eastern side of the appalachian mountains we didn't like that so we wanted to go west and how dare the king stop us from doing this we want to kick these people off their land so we're going to do it by god yeah <laughs> that's interesting i I have a negative view sometimes and by sometimes I mean a lot of times of uh, the revolution of my own country and the reasons I mean, behind it. Is it it's something we could certainly dive into more on? Yeah, on but, those but anyways, I'm happy to learn like this is all new to me. I'm just yeah, listening. Here, British, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. The British Indian Department is just a really uh, interesting sort of microcosm within the greater politics and violence of that of that region and of that that era and they were often so so often kind of caught between a rock and the hard place because they were surrounded with their people with people who they now consider to be their family their brothers and sisters their fathers and their you know their mothers and their children and uh people they had married into there were between the rock and then the British Empire, the hard place. And so it was just a very difficult thing for them to navigate. And after the Revolutionary War, when they signed over all of this land to the Americans, that also became a huge issue. They basically, wrote, there were a number of them that wrote letters back to the king and back to uh, the British Parliament, basically saying, you have betrayed every principle of our nation because you have sold out the allies that we promised to protect because you have signed away all of their territory that you don't own to uh, the Americans. And so they felt very hostily about the end of the revolutionary war. They felt that they should have put their back into it more. You know, it's really just really interesting um, idea because one of the reasons I find them interesting is that you don't really ever in this time period, it doesn't feel like you have very many good guys that don't have an incredible amount of however's and buts. And well, they also did this really shady thing. And I'm sure that they're, you know, I am not a scholar of the British Indian department. I am sure that they have been complicit in various atrocities that I am just not aware of. Um, But they seemed to as well try to do as much as they could, you know, uh, Damn. You know, I'm sure there are some assholes in there. Uh, I, I think we that. have a new yeah. segment. I think we have a new segment and we're just going to call it down the rabbit hole. We're just going to talk about, you know, Hell yeah. what we've gotten into. I, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm not going to. I think I'm going to. My answer to your question, Andreas, is going to be something that's a little bit closer to Asians represent. Not say that your answer was bad. Your answer was really fascinating. Um, mine's mine's a rabbit hole for sure. Mine's it's it's often the the woods you had to walk to get there oh that's interesting i okay so 
I think that if you were to go down an interesting rabbit hole, one would be Hayao Miyazaki's creative career. Uh, so earlier as this year, as an assassin, as an assassin, uh, earlier this year, I read a recently published in English uh, translation of one of his earliest works called Shuna's Journey. So uh, in the summer of 1983, two years before the founding of Studio Ghibli, um, Hayao Miyazaki published a 152-page illustrated storybook that was inspired by the mythology of the Tibetan Plateau. Uh, specifically, it, it was a folk tale uh, called The Prince Who Became a Dog. And it's about this impoverished kingdom um, where the people survive by only eating uh, meat and milk and drinking milk. And this benevolent prince basically embarks on this like journey west, journey to the west, uh, to save his people. But instead of, you know, like in the Chinese journey to the west, dealing like bringing back the sutras, he sure. goes and he needs to save his people by stealing barley from a demonic serpent. And then during an encounter with this like being, uh, the prince is transformed into a dog and sent home. And during his return journey, uh, the love of this girl transforms him back into a human so he can successfully sow barley seeds for his people. Um, but it is a beautiful illustrated storybook that's done in watercolor by Miyazaki. But what I think is very interesting and the rabbit hole that I would recommend going down is comparing his different works. He has done a very interesting job of drawing on like pan-European inspiration for some of his work and pan-Asian inspiration for, for some of his work. If you look at his like filmography and his, I guess, portfolio, I should say, because he, he's more than just a director, uh, his portfolio, he has basically drawn from everything, right? If you're, mm -hmm. he has, is very clearly fond of European settings. Uh, if you look at like uh, Porco Rosso, that's the Adriatic Sea. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service is the, um, an island called uh, Gotland in Sweden. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle is uh, inspired by the archi architecture of, um, of France. Um, Nazca then, Valley of the Wind is Ohio, you know. Yeah, Nazca, well, Nazca, <laughs> Nazca Valley of the Wind is like a really interesting one because it is what many people criticize D&D for being this world of blended inspirations, right? Because mm -hmm. like Nazca has inspiration from like Greek epics, um, the Heian period, Japanese tales, uh, Ukrainian wetlands, and of course like the art of Mobius, like his science fantasy landscapes. Yeah. Um, and even if you look at earlier works from Miyazaki, he did this one called Sabaku no Tami in 69. And it's essentially a fictionalized version of the Central Asian Silk Road. He's done like everything. Like Princess Mononoke is the Muromachi period and the Amishi people. Um, and then My Neighbor Totoro is basically all about this um this genre that we were talking about the the ashike the idea of healing and nature and, and obviously the a lot of shinto in in totoro but if you if you dig deep into miyazaki's portfolio it's just really interesting because he is this creator who has successfully drawn from all of these different cultural historical sources of inspiration and made these beloved works um and i think Shuna's journey specifically is one that I think very few people have actually read. So I, I recommend going and getting yourself a copy of that book. It is really beautiful. He, his watercolors are detailed 
and he is very minimalistic with his use of text. And he has taken a very thoughtful approach to honoring the Tibetan source material while making his own unique fantasy world. It's actually a really good example of fantasy world building um, that draws on a very clear cultural inspiration without being problematic. I really like it. Um, and yeah, so, I don't know if I was yeah. aware of how wide a breadth yeah. his work was. Because, you know, I, I'm used to the really stereotypical, you know, things that he has worked on, the things that everyone knows about. Everybody knows about Nausicaa. Everybody knows about Princess Mononoke. It's, yeah. it's interesting because if you like those two specifically, uh, the main character in Shuna's Journey is like the prototype for all of his oh, okay. most famous characters because like um there are a lot of similarities with Princess Mononoke like Shuna has a mount that looks like an elk and it's called Yakul and it's very similar to Ashitaka's sort of mount uh which shares the same name um mm. they uh there's also a character in Shuna's journey that is very narratively and aesthetically similar to Jigo in in Princess Mononoke and then yeah, it is very, very cool. Um, I recommend really diving into that book. It's, it's for 151 pages. It's like it's grand. It's melancholic. It's, yeah. it's inspirational. It's beautiful. It's really thought provoking. Like I would love to see that. Honestly, I think about the question that Nick posed to us that we answered previously, and I think about Shuna's journey. And I think about all of the games we recommended. You want something that focuses on the narrative and less on like the, the mechanics of 5e. And I still think that I would pick Knave. I still think that I would pick Five Torches Deep because it, it would support a party. Uh, and then I would pick Quest. Maybe even Into the Odd if you just use the system. But yeah, so that's my answer to Andreas's question about like what's a research rabbit hole you would go down. And I think it would literally just be the breadth of inspirations taken by Hayao Miyazaki for his portfolio. You know, uh, after we were talking about Nausicaa specifically, mm. you talked about how like it does what a lot of people don't like about D and D of taking all these different inspirations, you know, from all over the place and kind of blending them together. Yep. Do you think, do you think that there's something to be said about the key difference is that, those inspirations are blended together to create something new as opposed to pointing back at things that were never really real to begin with. Yes. Okay. Yes. hundred percent. I mean, it's you know, like people don't lift the idea of samurai to create something new. They lift the idea of samurai to point back at a version of samurai that never really existed. Yeah. They don't, they don't lift to samurai. They just, I, when I think they just recreate samurai instead of saying, yeah. Hey, we have a warrior class in society that has a lot of power socially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that I think Shuna's journey is a really good example of that. Like I, I knew nothing about Tibetan folklore or mythology until I had read Shuna's journey. And I just, I want to know more. Yeah. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, everyone should go check that out. Um, anyways, next question. <laughs> next <laughs> question. Uh, God, Andreas's question might be the big one. Um, that might, yeah, you that know might, what? based that, on the amount of time we had to talk about it, 
that might be the big one. I think at the end of every episode, we have to decide which question was the big one. Um, so I think Andreas might have like snuck that away from Nick because Andreas, you pulled like a history lesson out of Drew and a pop culture lesson out of me. Uh, Michelle asked a question uh, looking for an upgrade fashion wise any nerdy and or asian owned apparel apparel brands you'd recommend uh, i have two uh bb sama and yeah. sora those are the two that i would recommend bb sama and sora see the issue with asian owned apparel brands for me is that i am six foot three and almost yeah, 400 pounds i am not built like many uh asian people and um uh yeah those uh fun shops online that you can get your you know hanfu from and all those different like fun like you know japanese streetwear or korean streetwear and stuff like that yeah they don't they don't make those in my sizes you know uh, the, uh yeah okay. they just don't make them for me so um i'm stuck with like flannel that's okay. it you know, button downs. Okay, whatever. I have, I have a, I have some more. So, okay, I pick BB Sama because it's like very nerdy. Um, Jackie, uh, if you saw Jackie at Big Bad Con, Jackie was actually has this like really dope bomber jacket. That's a BB Sama jacket. Um, Sora Clothing is um, a local clothing brand here in Toronto, and they make and they do the all of these like anime theme drops. Um, there's another one in Toronto that I know I have a bunch of their stuff. Steve also has a bunch of their stuff. Um, they're called 1% talent. It's uh, Asian owned. Uh, it's less like nerdy and more like really cute Asian inspired, like silk screened clothing. Really awesome. Mm, that's cool. And then the last one I would recommend uh, because I've, I've recommended BB Sama, I believe operates out of the United States. So it'd be easier for you to get Michelle. Um, Sora and 1% Talent are Canadian, so I don't know what shipping is like down to the States, but I'll even it out with one other American recommendation. Uh, and that's a brand called JC Pennies. JC Pennies. It's a brand called Spiff Passe, uh, S P I F F, and then P A S S E. Uh, Spiff Passe, and it's Asian owned um, by this creator who makes anime inspired clothing and he hand draws his own designs and everything. I think they're really cool. He's currently doing a Jujutsu Kaisen uh, sort That's of cool. run right now. Uh, so yeah, those are the ones that I'd recommend. Uh, BB Sama, Sora, 1% Talent, and Spiff Passe. Uh, Michelle also asked, Michelle asked three questions. So the next one was any book recommendations. Uh, Drew, do you have a book recommendation? Um... Ooh, so I am currently slowly making my way through it. But this, you know, when they say the the meme had been going around of like, how often do you think about the Brit not British Empire, the Roman how Empire? Often do you think about the Roman Empire? You know, say that to a dude, and he'll always have a, an answer. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't really think about that, but I do think a lot about like the U.S. and that and like that colonial time period, not in a good mm. way. I don't celebrate it at, at all but i think a lot about that time period and and the marginalized people the people who were getting shit on by the colonial powers uh so to that end there's a really good book called uh thunder sticks firearms and uh, firearms and the violent transformation 
of Native America. This isn't a Jared Diamond thing, is it? No good. It's not. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's by David J. Silverman. Uh, and it is recontextualizing the use of firearms amongst uh, uh, various indigenous nations and how, it, you know, they were not using it because it was spooky and like a scare tactic, which is something that a lot of historians have peddled for a long time. Basically, the implication ah. by these historians was uh, Native Americans are stupid. They don't understand the tactical importance. They just thought it was scary and that's why they used it. When in reality, the real history is, no, they were very intelligent. They knew that this weapon was a game changer. And so they did whatever they could to get it and to use it to consolidate and protect their own power. Yeah. And so they they were in this basically massive Game of Thrones-esque situation where everyone is just politically maneuvering around each other and trying to dominate uh, the scene. And that's just really interesting. It really recontextualizes that era of uh, colonialism and uh, indigenous power. I, so I think it's a very cool book. I'm looking to see if the local bookshop here has it, and they do. I'm definitely going to get that. Because I was looking at the description, and it was like, yeah, the Native peoples fully recognize the potential for, of firearms to assist them in their struggles against colonial forces. Um, like, that's, yeah. It even got to the point... It even got to the point where many of the average, like, indigenous warriors of various nations had a better weapon than your standard militiamen Not or surprised. even or even or even like British soldiers. They would often have better weapons than they did because they were lavished with all these gifts. If the British or the Americans or the Spanish or the French weren't giving it to you, then like black market smugglers were giving it to you. Everyone wanted indigenous people on their sides because they knew that they were the cash cow. They were the ticket to the fur trade. And so, and, and indigenous nations knew this as well. They knew that they were the cash cow for Europe. And so they did everything they could to leverage that against yeah. uh, the imperial powers that they didn't like, even against each other, um, and used it to protect their cultural identity from the threat, the very threat, to be fair, that was giving them these guns to begin with. It's just such a interestingly complex yeah, narrative. That, like, uh, it's the, really interesting. The relationship between sort of using firearms to empower your people and and yet also you are now reliant and you're also reliant on these colonial forces to get you these tools of war. yeah 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 very because most often most often um the technology of how to make firearms and black powder and many other things were kept out of indigenous hands to force them to be reliant. Right. But also they were given new weapons so often that they didn't feel like they needed to develop it. You know, it's just such an interesting idea of the very thing empowering you is also the thing making you weaker because you become reliant on whoever's giving it to you. It's yeah. just really, it's just some wild shit. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm just I like, think a lot about this time period. Like this is this yeah. is my Roman Empire. Oh, that's awesome. Um I was gonna recommend I I wrote down a couple things I was gonna recommend, but I've got a different one. So my my brother got me a book for my birthday. Um it's a really interesting book. Um Bible. so it's a book called Denison Avenue. So uh Ooh, Denison Avenue. Yeah, so Denison Avenue is is on Toronto it's at the core of Toronto's central Chinatown but what's really neat is that it's like two books so Denison Avenue is a novel about a, a Chinese woman who 
basically is struggling with the loss of her husband and she turns to collecting cans and bottles. And it's mm. about how she find a kind of uh, finds community. But what's really neat is that um, with this book, Denison Avenue, if you flip it, it turns into an illustration, uh, a series of illustrations what? by another um, by another creator. And they're just all of these black and white line illustrations of Toronto's Chinatown. Um, so cool. on one end, you have Denison Avenue, the novel, uh, and then you flip it and you have Denison Avenue, uh, the art book, all in one. Uh, really and cool. It, ple- it pleases my Asian senses because that's a two for one deal. Yeah. And like anybody from Toronto, if you if you look at the uh, the cover illustration, like iconic, it's not even a Chinese place, but iconic uh, Vietnamese place to get banh mi in Toronto. It's like the place. It's right on the cover. Oh, nice. Um, it's awesome. And it's a similar angle of um, the art in uh, Jason Lowe's comic book, The Pitiful Human Lizard. Um, but yeah, that would be my my pick, uh, Denison Avenue, um, the novel by Christina Wong and illustrations by Daniel Ines. Um, now we have a couple, a couple more, and they're all sort of fall food themed. Uh, most honorable, most honorable asked, if you had to make a fall food themed dice set, what would you pick? I would assume it's what would be inside the dice. I think like Halloween little skulls would be fun, but I think it'd be more fun to just have like a pumpkin pie, like just like little pie slices. Okay, here's 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 my not real, not real pie slices, but like little like inside. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's my thing. I would do a cranberry sauce themed dice set. But but hear me out. This is what it would it would come packaged in a can and you would like open up the can and you would turn it upside down. And it would be in some sort of like rubbery stuff and it would come out like the cranberry sauce would come out of a can and the dice would be inside it. You'd have to open it up and then you'd get your cranberry sauce colored dice from a can. Companies, get in touch with me. Are you? Are you? I love I love how it just focused right on my finger. (laughs) Right at the camera. Uh, Are you taking feedback? Yes. I think it'd be better if it wasn't like some rubbery substance that was holding it together. Slime? Like that loop of that, that slime. What if it was just put in, in cranberry a sauce. jar of cranberry sauce? Yeah, or you could do that. Or you could and do... You, that's just the price you pay. And you could do a line of them. You could do the cranberry sauce and you could do gravy. You could do gravy. You could, gravy, you could do like apple butter. Yeah, what's you could apple do butter? All sorts. Um, so you ever milked an apple before and then churned it? I don't I actually can't tell you what apple butter is. I know it's really good. Oh. You guys not have apple butter up there? I've I've never heard of it. Um okay, I've got something new to look for. Um the only thing apple butter has in common with regular butter is its spreadability. It is more comparable to preserves or jam. It's just like concentrated fruit with some sugar. I have never heard of apple butter before. Oh it's just like jam though, but it's apple jam. But but it's but it's it's almost more like but is there dairy in it? Um, like what makes it it's almost butter? more like it's there's nothing that makes it like butter except for it's just smooth and spreadable it's smooth like it's butter. like it's like a it's like a thicker like a criminal undercover applesauce it's like a thicker applesauce but why is it called apple butter and not apple jam or apple because it spreads like butter 
how do I break this down for you? Okay. I, I, I don't know. You, you weird ass foods. <laughs> take, you take butter, you spread it. You take apple butter, you spread it. There's no dairy in it. There's nothing about so it's, it's dairy in it. It's just a consistency thing. Yes. Okay. And you don't like pea meal bacon. Yeah, because uh, it sounds weird and it looks weird. And I don't like your stupid Canadian bacon to begin with. Whatever. It's just ham. <laughs> it's just, it's just ham. ham. Ooh, those are fine. Ham's words. already not good. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. I love ham. Okay. Audience, let us know in the Discord server. Are you are you pro or against ham? Let us know. I like ham. Um, Kat asked another food question. Cranberry sauce or gravy? Apple gravy. pie or pumpkin pie? Pumpkin. No. Gra- no. Nope. Apple. I'm gravy or apple pie. I hate pumpkin pie. What? I do not. I don't understand the the consistency of. I don't. I know it's the same consistency as like key lime pie and stuff. But like, I don't like apple pie. I, no, I don't like not. pumpkin. I the that pumpkin pie I had. The only time I've had pumpkin pie was in Texas for Christmas, and it was like for Christmas. Yeah, it was like we Why'd had you have pumpkin Christ- pie for Christmas. I don't know, but that's the only time I've had pumpkin pie, and it was just not good. It was like mashed pumpkin over a crust i blah did nah, not like man. it did nah. not like it. but i will always pick apple pie i like apple pie with with some vanilla apple ice cream like good. a scoop of ice cream on top God. i also don't i don't like cranberry sauce i just don't like the tartness i don't know yeah. why i'll I always just... pick gravy because gravy's good on everything yeah i've i've never thought that the i've never thought that cranberries add to anything mm-hmm uh, in that way, like in not even that there are various things that have cranberries on them or in them that I think are good, like some dried cranberries on a salad is nice. Oh, yeah. However, um, yeah, cranberry sauce is not quite that. And I don't I don't like it. It's not Cran- it's not a consistency thing or anything. I just don't like the taste. The taste Cran- is not cranberry fun. sauce is that one thing that you see at like every meal that involves like like turkey. And I always get a little bit of it every single time because I think I'm going to like it. And then I never do. This conversation is making me realize that I've not eaten in 10 hours. Okay, well, you should. We've got after we answer this last question. <laughs> I'm not trying to keep you from your meal. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, I, I, I forgot. Michelle has I forgot asked pumpkin spice, yay or nay. Yeah, fuck it. You know, I there there are various pumpkin spice things that are nice. There are some that are not. Um, I was very but... anti pumpkin spice, um, but I got an email from Starbucks a couple days before my birthday saying I got a free drink. So yeah. I went on TikTok and I searched. And I had to look it up. I searched basic white person free Starbucks birthday order, and I got the first thing that I found. And I got this yesterday, and it was, uh, I have to read it because I wrote it down. It was an iced pumpkin cream chai tea latte. First of all, chai and tea. Chai means tea. Um, So it was an iced pumpkin cream chai tea latte with oat milk with one pump of brown sugar and two pumps of vanilla. I didn't know what I was getting into. You lost me at the oat milk part, but other than that, I'm lactose intolerant, but it was delicious. It was delicious. Yeah. But I don't think it was um, because of the pumpkin. So I to make that way more sugar. simple, to make that way more simple, uh, 
my sister put me put me onto this so shout out to you um but just get a chai latte a nice chai latte with two pumps of pumpkin sauce whatever the fuck that is pumpkin sauce i don't sauce? like that i don't like that it's not like a like syrup it's a it's a sauce i don't know daniel what do you folks i don't do work in, in in missouri <laughs> um mostly transphobic things um yeah. apparently uh, among other things, but be, regardless, beyond that, we gotta get. I, you I, out I don't. There. I don't. Uh, but the housing is cheap, you know. Yeah. Like, Fair. Uh, but yeah, pumpkin spice, yay or nay? It's more like a eh for me. It just I'm depends like, eh. for me. It's not something I'll order. It's not something I'll be like, oh my god, it's fall, pumpkin spice season. I'll never do that. I I do personally prefer the apple side of fall. Where it's like apple pies, apple mm-hmm. ciders, apples, yep. you know, like apple butter, you know. Mm. I do That's love me. One. I do love me apple cider, though. I love apple cider. Yeah. God. Yeah. I had um, uh, South. Uh, I am. Oh, my God. I'm forgetting the name of the place. But south of St. Louis, um, like uh, like it's it's near Mastodon State Park. Ooh, OK. Um, but. Um, it's a shopping area, like a little historic shopping area. That's really cool. And there's a like spice specialty place where it's like spices and teas and okay. uh, jams and preserves and stuff. And I had this, uh, spicy apple jelly. That was so good. Mm-hmm. You just put on toast. What makes it, So it's the only thing that makes it different from apple butter is the consistency. Then you said apple jelly. No, this is like a proper like jelly, like okay. like jelly preserves. It's a preserve. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not quite an applesauce. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like clearly you can see it's, it's semi transparent because it's like a jelly. It's like a jello almost. OK. Very good. Um, well. I'm going to have to try apple butter one day. Um, if you listener have had apple butter, let us know. Is it is it worth the hype? Uh, we'll see. Uh, but that said, Drew, we need to pick what is the big one for our questions. Oh, it's gotta be my boy, Andreas. Shout out to Andreas. Andreas, you asked the big one, uh, for this. Go to, listen, no problem. Go, go to Metal Weave Games. Go buy the plushie, the Owlbear plushie, and whatever else you see on there. Go support Andreas. Man's got a kid. You got to support. He's got Andreas two kids. Just a good guy. Got... Drew, are we incentivizing the fact that if a publisher asks the big one on a, on a no dice, no problem question, they get a shout out at the end? Because I feel like that's what we're we're leaning towards. Listen, they get the big one. But in response, Andreas, I, I presume that I shall get the big bucks for this. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. Andre, Andreas is Andreas is a a one of our longest standing patrons, so you deserve it, Andreas. Thank you for asking the big one. Now, Drew, back to you. Speaking of sponsors, listen, you know times have been tough for all of us. That's I think true at all times in general. There's always something new to be uh, uh, to, to to have tough in your life. And so sometimes we like to do a little bit of merchandise. We like to do a little bit of retail therapy. And you know what? You've worked hard. And if you haven't, that's okay. Either way, you do deserve those dice. But only if those dice come from DiceEnvy.com. 
If you go to DiceEnvy.com, put in the code AZNS represent, Asians represent, you get 10% off and some of that money gets kicked back to me, Drew Kwan, because I need it. Um, student loans have started back up. Biden did not pull through like he promised. I voted for that man, and I can't fucking stand that this is the thing that he couldn't deliver on, among other things that he cannot seem to deliver on. Regardless, I have to pay that bill now. I hate it, and I I need your money. So please, DiceMV.com, buy something, 10% off. AZNNS represent. And feel proud knowing that you bought from Dice Envy and not Chessex. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck them. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>